Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Basketball returns. We made it, everybody. We made it one whole week, which really, really brings into focus how long the offseason is. <laughs> it's just like nothing, and we barely survived it. It was overwhelming in its, in its level of boredom, and we barely made it. But here we are, hanging in there. <laughs> oh, the lunacy. But guess what? We still don't have actual results to talk about, so we got one more, what I'm going to call sort of like off-season style podcast today. And... Uh, then tomorrow we can pivot back into actually talking about the results of, of real-life basketball games. Welcome to Fantasy NBA Today, everybody. I'm your host, Dan Bespris. It is Thursday, February the 24th, the official end of the All-Star break. We've got games coming up tonight, about a half slate's worth. Not the mega, ultra, super jumbo size. But look, at this point, anything's fine. Seven-game card tonight. We come out of the break. Injury news abounds. Karis LeVert dealing with a foot issue. He stepped on somebody's foot in practice. Darius Garland still got his back out. Larry Markinen might be back. Brooklyn doesn't expect to have any of their key guys for this ball game. Chicago might very well have Zach Levine back for this ball game. We're all over the map with the injury stuff. But look, here's the thing. I covered all that stuff on Twitter yesterday when the news broke on all of those injury nubs. So, what I'm asking of you, requesting, suggesting of you, is to follow me on Twitter, at Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. Hello to anybody that is new to the podcast. I've been really sort of hammering this show on Twitter because this is my, this podcast is my little infant it will always be my infant. It's about as old, actually, as my oldest child, but it'll always be my infant. So I want you guys to listen. I want you guys to try to bring something out of it if we can do so. Uh, and today, as promised on yesterday's show, we have sort of the, the yang to yesterday's yin. If you caught yesterday's show, you already know what I'm about to say. If you didn't, on Wednesday's edition of Fantasy NBA Today, we... Uh, we discussed players that I thought might get overdrafted next year. And I, I mean, this is a lot of hypothesizing based on the criteria that we covered on yesterday's show was basically what players were having a fantastic season because uh, the, the perfect confluence of occurrences happened. But today, and honestly, this to me, is the more vital part of looking at your next fantasy season. What about the players where the opposite happened? Where everything that could go wrong has gone wrong? And is the risk, is the reward, I should say, worth the risk in dive-bombing face-first into some of these players we're about to cover? 
So that's the topic on today's podcast. Again, hello, welcome. I'm Dan Vespers. This is a Sports Ethos presentation. SportsEthos.com. Ethos Fantasy BK. That cleared 7,500 Twitter follows yesterday. It should be so much higher than that. Listen, okay. Like, I know that this is going to get back to somebody, but I am so fed up with the fantasy news feeds that don't provide any analysis and don't list where they got their information in the tweet. They should have to tag the beat writer that dropped the news. They're not breaking the news. They're an aggregator. And there's nothing wrong with being an aggregator, but you got to give credit where credit's due. Sports Ethos does. If you click on the link in the tweet, it takes you to analysis of the news that dropped and who dropped the news so you know whether or not it's trustworthy. I really don't like this these, these newsfeed aggregators that have no analysis and no way to know where they got their information from. They're trying to keep it a secret so you think that they're performing some sort of incredible magic trick. It's not magic. They just follow the right three or 400 people on Twitter and watch for news breaks and then just retype it as their own news. Drives me crazy. Anyway, um, okay, all underdrafted list. I've got seven names for today's podcast, and I wanted them to be big names. Because I don't really care about someone you drafted in the sixth round that stunk this year that might be a little bit better next season. That doesn't move the needle on a podcast. It doesn't really move the needle in our discussion. Today's show is about guys that are near the top that I think end up going too low next year. But is it worth it? The answer might be no. Okay. First name on the list. And I'm working through them actually based on where they're ranked this season, not where they were drafted this season. Because I was going through the board. I went through basically the top 75 names, and I picked out my seven favorites. And the first name on that list is James Harden. Now this one might change depending on how the rest of this season goes because he could come into Philadelphia, put up gigantic numbers as Joel Embiid's 1B, and then everybody will forget the sort of uh, kooky season that got us to this point. He's number 11 right now, which is fine, but he's only played in 44 games, so by totals he's actually lower than that. Harden's number 23 by totals. This is a guy who was generally drafted in the three or four slot. So whether it's per game or totals, he's been a letdown this year. And you know, maybe this one's not fair because a lot of what next season's going to be is going to be built on what people see over the last, call it six and change weeks. Let's assume he gets back into the lineup. Maybe he's back in their first thing here. I don't know. Or, or maybe it, we're a game or two away. Uh, actually, I think he might have been listed as probable now. So let's assume he does get in there, and he basically gets like seven weeks of basketball between now and the end of the year. If he explodes, this discussion probably becomes moot. He no longer gets underdrafted. If he continues to put up numbers similar to the ones he did in Brooklyn and misses games here and there, they give him back-to-backs off for hamstring maintenance, he's probably who got a guy that ends up getting drafted towards the end of the first round instead of the beginning next year. But, as we have to do with all seven of these names, is 
the reward worth the risk? And I'm inclined to say with someone like Harden, the answer is yes. Because we know the upside with him is top one. Or playing next to Joel Embiid, I assume the upside would be more like top five. I think field goal percent will probably be better as he settles in in Philadelphia. I don't know that durability is going to be any better, although it's not entirely clear that this whole situation wasn't hardened just cooling and then sort of reconditioning himself post-trade deadline. Although it is fair to say that he now misses games. He's at a point in his career where he's not going to go full Iron Man. Uh, and, you know, that he has an option on his deal. He might opt out of it and sign a longer contract with Philly. He might opt into it. We don't actually know what's going to happen on that front either. Uh, but what we do know is that if he's, like, just sort of average between now and the end of this season and we don't see maximum Harden, that next year he probably ends up as a value. And I think if he really does go towards the end of the first round, it's possible that I might be underselling him here just based on how many names... I can pretty much guarantee we'll go ahead of him. If this season ended right now and we look towards next year, I'd be willing to pretty much guarantee that Jokic, Durant, LeBron, Embiid, Curry, Cat, maybe Trey, I don't know about Dame coming back from injury. Those guys probably go in front of him. So you're looking at like number 9, 10, something like that, as early as... Seven or eight? At that point, maybe it is a little bit too early. But as he goes towards the end of the first round, that would be a really interesting prospect, and I think I'd like him there. Next name on the list is Paul George, who's played a grand total of 26 games so far this year, and he's set to be evaluated actually today to find out what the rest of his season might look like, which is a horrifying prospect. (laughs) Oh, boy. Paul George. What do we do with Paul George? Well, there's no way he's going in the first round next year. He's number 16 this season. Although, it's also fair to note that his field goal percent took a nosedive when he suffered his elbow injury and then tried to play through it and his percentages tanked. Namely, just field goal percent. But two steals per game, 25.7 boards, five and a half assists, almost three three three-pointers a night. If you throw that up and turnovers come down from 4.2 and field goal percent comes up from 42 to like 44, then he is a first rounder with those types of numbers. But it's going to come down to what's Kawhi Leonard like? What does the rest of this season look like for him? And if you're in a head-to-head league, can you risk it on a guy who now has, again, at this stage of his career, kind of flipped from someone you felt like you could trust to someone I don't think you feel like you can anymore. Paul George played 54 games out of 72 last season. He played 48 out of about 70-ish the year before that. And his time in the Clippers has been riddled with injury stuff after really four consecutive years after his gruesome injury that cost him the entire 2014-15 season. Two in Indiana, two in Oklahoma City. He was a pillar of durability during those years. Missed one, seven, three, and five games over four seasons. And then 20 plus, actually it was 30 plus, 
nope, excuse me, it was 20 plus, almost 20. And then this year, you're looking at probably 40 plus, or maybe around 40 if he plays a little bit down the stretch, which I still don't really think he's going to do. So let's say he doesn't play the rest of this year. Kawhi and PG are set to play together next season. They, they get all the contractual stuff sorted out. They come back with the Clippers. And Paul George gets 17 and change shots per game as Kawhi's running mate instead of the 21-plus he was rolling this year. His field goal percent comes back up to 44-45 because his looks are better alongside Kawhi than they are by himself. So you're looking at more like 22-23 points per game instead of 25. The steals, one would hope are in the high ones after kind of a down year in that department. Last season, three-pointers are around three per ball game. Very good free throw percent. Six rebounds, four to five assists per game. These are all really nice numbers with the looming specter of a 15 to 20 games missed campaign. I will... I would offer you the 2018 season where you've got somebody who maybe post-value, like kind of near the turn, somewhere between 12 and 18, pretty much where Paul George is right now, but misses around 20 ball games, Maybe a little bit less than that. There aren't that many examples to pull from from three years ago, the last time we had an 80-plus game season to work with. But Joel Embiid was number 10. He played in 64 games that year. Jimmy Butler was number 15. He played in 65 games that year. And by totals, that dropped Joel Embiid to number 17, Jimmy Butler to number 24. So if you think Paul George is going to hang out in that 12 to 15 range and miss close to 20 games on the season, he's not really someone you can draft inside the end of the second round. I don't think that playing alongside Kawhi, Paul George is a guy who's going to get back into that mid to late first round. I don't think he's going to do it. I don't think there are enough shots and he would have to do the two steals per game again, which I don't think he's going to have to do when Kawhi's back because they're going to be beating teams again. I know they're winning some games here. I'm, I'm talking about beating teams. So, yeah, Paul George probably gets underdrafted next year. He probably gets drafted near the end of the second round. But I don't know if that's deep enough. In head-to-head, I don't think I'd touch it. In Roto, I would consider it. To me, it's a coin flip at that spot. You know you're going to get second round per game value. Your coin flip is, can he clear 64 ball games on the year? I'm going to draft him at 24. If he clears 64 games, he probably beats that mark. If he doesn't, he doesn't. So Paul George coin flip value for next season. Hey, we didn't have games for a while, but today is a perfect time to remind you guys of our partnership with the great folks at ThriveFantasy.com and the Thrive Fantasy app. Prop up! Ladies and gentlemen, I have not been doing a good enough job of explaining what this means because I got, I got some questions about it on Twitter yesterday when I was trying to bring up some Thrive things. So prop bets, for those that are not fully or uninitiated, is basically uh, Thrive gives you a number, as in, okay, uh, you know, let's look at, well, let's look at a game coming up tonight. Who's the superstar playing tonight? Devin Booker. So Thrive might say, hey, Devin Booker's going to score 24 and a half points. I don't actually know what the line is tonight. Do you think he's going to go over 24 and a half or under 24 and a half? 
And there are point values in the system, thrive points, associated with whichever direction you pick. Like if most people are picking the over, it's not going to be worth as many points. might be worth five points. Not a lot of people are picking the under. Maybe you pick the under, it's worth more than that. You do that with 10 out of 20 players on the board. There are 20 names. You pick 10 overs or unders. And if you can accrue a bunch of Thrive points by getting a lot of those right, including sort of the tougher calls, you win money from the prize pool. That's how props work. So check them out now with a sign-up using promo code ETHOS or just click the link in the podcast description. It's in there. It's right there in there everywhere. Uh, Actually, you know what? That one might not be in the iTunes description. So you might have to go find it on Twitter or just go to thrivefantasy.com and sign up using promo code ETHOS. E-T-H-O-S. Make a $10 deposit. It's all you got to do to get started. They'll match it with 10 bucks, and you'll get two $20 contest entries. They have these $20 nightly sort of big contests where the prize money is pretty sizable. And you can get into two of those on the house just with a $10 deposit. Big prize money in those contests. Tens of thousands of dollars are given out every night, and you can get a, a two basically free slices at it. Plus the $10 you deposit, plus the $10 they match. You can play in some smaller contests if you want and kind of mess around a little bit. If you want to get yourself tuned in before you drop into the big contest, that's fine also. ThriveFantasy.com and the Thrive Fantasy app available everywhere. Apps are released. Apple, Android, you got it. You name it, they've got it. E-T-H-O-S. Ethos is the promo code to make sure you get that those two free contest vouchers. You cannot get that without using our specialty promo code. Next on the list... Nikola Vucevic. This one might not hit you the way the other ones did because you're probably looking at it and thinking, wait, Vucevic has actually been pretty good this year. And you'd be right. He's played in 52 ball games, and he's number 21 by overall rank, which, by the way, that was one of the ones I think we nailed pretty good. Plenty of misses, plenty of hits. That was one we nailed pretty good. There was no way playing alongside Zach Levine and DeMar DeRozan that he was going to be as involved offensively as he had been in, say, Orlando. But he has actually ratcheted up his defensive stats. He's at 2.2 combined this year. And after kind of a, a clanky first month... Over the last three months, he's been number 15 because the field goal percent's been a little bit better. Three-pointers are actually up a bit. Rebounding's been very good. He's just been quietly very solid all season long, but it's been so quiet that I don't think anybody realized really how he turned that corner after a bad shooting first month. And it was really a bad shooting first month. I mean, he was down like around 40%. He couldn't throw a stone in the ocean. But because everything else was still so solid, he was hovering in that 50 range where he really was just a mean reversion field goal percent away from firing his way back up into the second round. And I get the feeling just from the fact that nobody's talking about him. Like, no one is talking about Vooch this year, good or bad. He's a zero publicity 
fantasy player. That he's just going to... And remember, this is a dude who was drafted early third round this year. Which, you know, I thought was pretty accurate based on the move he was making. I knew some folks that were like, oh, no, everything's going to be totally fine. I was like, no, no, he's going to take some kind of hit. I don't know what it's going to be, but it's going to be some kind of hit. So I would look late second, early third. And there were places... I mean, I saw him go off the board at like 20, which I thought might have been a little bit on the early side. But he ended up right in that window. And I think he probably ends up kind of back in that same spot next year, late second round. But if you wipe out the terrible shooting first month, that actually makes him a value on the year. Because he's going to rebound on that team. I don't even really care what Chicago does in the offseason. And we've seen Vooch, he'll play his butt off even on a bad team. We've seen it before. He did it in Orlando. You know, we talked about how DeMar has cranked his game up 15 clicks now back to playing on a good team. Vooch is Vooch, pretty much no matter where you put him. If you put him alongside dudes that have high usage, he'll just dial back his shooting a little bit. He'll make sure he's involved in other ways. If you take away some of those guys, let's say Zach Levine doesn't stay put. I think he does, but let's say he doesn't, then Vooch will just take a couple extra shots. Easy enough, right? He's proving himself to be fairly durable again on his way to playing in about 85% of his team's games. That's excellent. That puts him about a half round ahead by totals. So again, if you, know, if you look at the last three months, he's number 15 by averages. He's played in a significant number of games over that stretch. He's been one of the most durable players in the NBA over the last three months. He's actually number four by totals in that stretch, behind just Jokic, Embiid, and LeBron. And ahead of prodigal son Chris Paul, oh, that injury hurts me so much. On a on a like a personally offensive level, that injury hurts me because it's just so damn fluky. But I think Vooch gets under underdrafted, not because anything has gone horribly wrong for him, but because he got off to a slow start, and that's what everybody remembers. And since then, he's just been like the most quiet top fifteen player I can ever remember. He's not breaking 20 points per game. The rebounds are good, but he's not at like 15 a night. You know, he's not at Jokic 14 rebounds, the type of stuff that, or Gobert 15, that type of number jumps out at you. Vooch is a little under 12, really, really good, but eye-popping, no. Almost four assists a game, really good for a center, but nobody notices it. A steal, doesn't blow you away, but it's good for a center. 1.2 blocks. Doesn't blow you away, but it's good. That's on the season we're talking about. Last three months, 49% from the field with almost two three-pointers a game. You could even see his free throw percent come up. I think he ends up as a great value towards the end of the second round next year. Here's one that's going to be a really tough pill to swallow, but we haven't decided if it's worth the, the plunge yet, and that's Damian Lillard. What is Portland going to be? next year we've heard that dame wants to see this rebuild through that he wants to be the centerpiece as portland quickly blows it up and tries to lure some free agents to town to come play with him he's going to get underdrafted pretty much regardless of what happens in the offseason but what i'd be really worried about with dame is if portland doesn't bring in a viable running mate for lillard what 
does Dame do if he doesn't feel like they have a shot to make a run next season? I think we can safely assume that his abdomen will be fine by next year. He'll get himself in playing shape, but it's going to be something that probably have to at least think about. He's getting older. Not old, old, but these types of things, they'll, they'll worry me for a long time. I don't have a, the first foggy clue where he's going to get drafted next year, but I would guess it's going to be towards the end of the first round. Maybe between 7 and 12. I don't know exactly where in there. I mean, we've talked about this with Harden. Dame probably is going to be in that same general boat. If they bring in a running mate for Dame, I don't know who it would be. Bradley Beal's uh, a free agent. Maybe he goes there. Zach Levine's a free agent. I, I mean, I don't see these things necessarily playing out, but let's say hypothetically the Blazers pull off this hyper-fast rebuild quick. They got some picks. Uh, they got a couple of young players. You know, maybe they can fire a couple guys out. Maybe they, maybe it's a trade. Maybe Anthony Simons has been amazing. Maybe they trade him. They go get a big guy with a big name. Or Nurk comes back and they add a, a power forward or a small forward with a big name. And Dame feels inspired. He's got his new running mates. And it's time to go conquer the world. Then I think you could probably talk me into it. Maybe more so in Roto than head-to-head. Because I think there are going to be rest days for him next year. But at that point... Then you're starting to think, okay, this is someone who feels like he has something to play for. It's a, it's a change of scenery, even if he's in the same spot, same team. But what if they don't? It's hard to get a free agent to sign with you. I know Dame is a, a big name, and I'm sure a lot of guys in the NBA would love to play with him because he's maybe the best leader in the entire NBA. But what if they don't? What if they swing and miss? Happens to teams all the time. Big market, small market, middle market, you name it. It happens all the time. What if they don't bring in a running mate for Dame? What if they bring Nurk back and it's Dame and Simons and Justice Winslow? I don't know what the contractual situation is for a lot of these guys. And Josh Hart. And Dame's looking at this like, are you kidding me? This is last year, but without CJ McCollum. This isn't better. They traded Norm Powell. They traded Rob Covington away. They didn't get, they got a little younger, but didn't get better. Cleared out room for Simons. They got Nas Little, he's out for the year. He'll be back, but, you know, he was there already. At that point, I don't think I'm willing to take the plunge. That smells terribly similar to what Dame looked at this season, what Paul George looked at this season. Bradley Beal looked at this season. Maybe that's the best comp. Beal and Paul George. Similar comps, honestly. Beal lost Russell Westbrook, which I know sounds dumb when you look at how bad Westbrook has been with a, as a fit with the Lakers, but he dragged that team into the playoffs last year. That was Russ and a bunch of Wizards just strapped to his belt, and he, and he walked him up the hill, dangling off of him. In a bad Eastern Conference, yeah, but it, Russ was being Russ, and he just wheeled them into the bottom of the play-in last season. Doesn't work in L.A., but if you're Beal, you're like, well, what did we get? We got a, a cavalcade of okay NBA players, none of them with any real game-winning upside. 
Kuzma's been good. KCP's been fine. These aren't game changers, though. Russ in his prime was a game changer. He always has this ceiling because he can't shoot. But as bad as he's been with the Lakers this year, Russell Westbrook has, through most of his career, been a guy that moves the needle, makes a teammate feel like they're playing for something, at least until the wheels come off, and they always have. At least lately, they certainly do. So what if that happens to Dame? What if there's no running mate for him? What if he goes into this season without any motivation on the roster to crank it back up? I think I pass on him at that point. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. I drafted Paul George in a lot of places this year. Paul George and Jimmy Butler were two guys that I was targeting hard. Butler's hurt me with the injury stuff. Paul George hurt me because he got hurt, something that they claimed he could have possibly played through. But when there's no real chance at a championship, no Kawhi, they're not going very far. Why? That's the Dame argument if there's no running bait next year. Why? That's kind of what happened this year. Stagnation finally set in in Portland after all these years. Remember how many years I said, I think this team's going to stagnate. And then Dame wheeled them past the stagnation. Finally, he was like, look, guys, I got this abdomen thing going on. I can't. I can't wheel us past this anymore. Risk might not be worth the reward. We talked about Bradley Beal. Let's talk about Bradley Beal. Bradley Beal, to me, is... We don't know where he's going to end up, but he's definitely going to get drafted way down the board. This is a guy who was taken near the turn this season, and he's been he's been bad. And now hurt. Sitting near 60 most of the year. Like, there was a stretch where he was in the 40s, and they dropped into the 80s. And he's actually playing a little bit better prior to COVID, or first time I think it was just an exposure, and then the second time was actually COVID, and then the hand, wrist thing, and then finally they just pulled the plug on it. Uh, Wizards dramatically decreased their pace, and that hurt Beal a lot. Because remember, last couple of seasons under Scott Brooks, they just, they, went, they just played crazy. They didn't try to guard anybody. They didn't really try to win basketball games. They just tried to score a bunch and hoped that on any given night, that was going to be more than the other guys could score a bunch. And took that away, and all of a sudden, Bradley Beal just dropped like an anvil. 23 points. Yuck. Under 20 shots per game with that supporting cast. So I think the Beal argument is actually really similar to the Damian Lillard argument. I would love for him to go end up in a place where he has running mates. I don't want him back in Washington. I don't like the pace they're playing at. I don't like this sort of passive, not fully engaged iteration of Bradley Beal. I actually want him someplace else. And I know there will be an adjustment period wherever he goes, if he goes someplace else. And that'll probably get him off to a slow start. But I think once he settles in, wherever this might be, again, on this hypothetical where he's not back in Washington, if Beal's back in Washington... I'm fine with him getting underdrafted. I don't think I would take him inside the top 40 in Washington. Maybe that's not true. Maybe 37. I'll take him at the start of the fourth round. But the pace they play at and the role he plays for the Wizards, 
unless they do something. And maybe Kristaps Porzingis is the answer there. Maybe that gets him fired up a little bit. I don't know. It doesn't get me fired up, so I can't imagine it gets the player. Beal's coming back like, yeah, I get to play with Porzingis for the 42 games a year. He's healthy. That, no, that doesn't really add up, does it? Beal strikes me as another guy who's going to be wildly underdrafted next year, but I don't know if the risk is worth the reward. However, let's say he does change teams. Let's say one of these clubs that's been clearing out space to try to make a run at him. Let's say he ends up in Portland. I don't know. Beal and Dame? Those guys going buck wild? Hell yeah. I would take him in the 30s at that point. A reinvigorated, playing with a superstar, Beal? Absolutely. So it doesn't make logical sense. Usually you want the guys when they're going to have the most possible usage on the board. But what we've often overlooked and we've oversimplified in the past by saying that usage is value, is that caring matters. Guys, make sure to go check out our buddies at manscaped.com. Get 20% off and free shipping with the promo code ETHOS20, E-T-H-O-S-2-0, at manscaped.com, get the lawnmower 3.0. I've told you this before, and I'm sure Manscaped is none too pleased <laughs> pushing the older iteration. I like the lawnmower 3.0 more than the 4.0. The, the 4.0 is actually a tighter shave, but the 3.0, you can go full willy-nilly style with that thing, and it will never pinch you. Ever. There's like, I don't know how they did it. It's just, it's pinch-free. The 3.0, I like the way the light operates a little bit better i think it's at a better angle i love the pinch free technology the 4.0 does have a longer battery life and has better waterproof technology so if that's your thing you go 4.0 but if you're not going to shave in the shower but you do want to shave fast trim fast the 3.0 that's the lawnmower for you at manscaped.com please go check them out and go check out some of the uh the sort of side dishes like the lip balm we told you about on yesterday's show they've got the shears it's really cool stuff over there. Boxers, t-shirts, goodies. Manscaped.com, one of our favorite long-term partners here on Fantasy NBA Today. Promo code again, ethos20. You get 20% off and free shipping on your order. The last two names on my board, one of them is an obvious one. One of them is a little bit less obvious. We're going to go with the slightly less obvious one, and that's my buddy Chris Middleton who's an old man squad frequenter. And I bet if I asked you, don't look, what's Middleton ranked this year? I bet a lot of you said 60. You want to know why I think a lot of you said 60? Because when I looked him up, I thought he was near 60. You know where he actually is? 44. And I faded the crap out of Middleton and Giannis and Drew Holiday, although Drew started going so late that it actually was hard for me to fade him. He was the guy on that list that I faded the least. But coming off the championship, the Olympics, those guys had fade written all over them. Now, Drew has missed a bunch of ball games, but he is ranked 33, so he sort of leveled that out a little bit. Middleton's been a bit of a fade this year, and he's been a fade because he's shooting 44%. And to me, that's a sign of a guy who's just... Like, he's in a little bit of a different role with no Brooke Lopez. We've talked about that on the Giannis side. It's a, it's a different basketball game for them this year. Uh, Bucks are kind of in... They're a little hungover this whole season. 
but he's still at 20 points, five boards, five assists, 1.2 steals, and two and a half three-pointers. The only issue with Middleton is that his field goal percent has dropped off. The other stuff with him, shot profile hasn't changed all that much. Turnovers are weirdly high. There's a lot of stuff with Middleton that probably comes back to earth after a full-length offseason and just standard mean reversion stuff. He probably plays in more games next year because they're, you know, maybe they repeat. I don't know. But let's assume they don't win the championship this season. It'll just be a little bit easier for him to recover and bounce back. Now, the regular season is never going to feel the same for any of these guys in the Bucks because they won a championship. It almost doesn't matter until you get like four or five seasons away from your, your last chip. The regular season, it doesn't feel, it, it doesn't change unless you're building new chemistry, which they're not. It's the same core there for this team. But I think Middleton probably ends up getting drafted pretty close to where he's ranked right now. And to me, this is kind of a floor for Chris because of how bad the field goal percent is and because how high the turnovers are and everything else is pretty much right on target with him. So yeah, if you're going to let me draft a guy at his floor, I will absolutely do it. Now, the last name on our list, which is probably the more obvious one, but really needs to be said, is Bam Adebayo. Bam is way down this year. Way down. Near 50. But, also he's only played in 34 games. Of course, dealt with the uh, first the knee stuff and then the wrist stuff that kept him out for a very long time. Or was it elbow? Doesn't matter. In any event, since Bam's come back in about 15 games, he's top 25. 19 points, 10 rebounds, 2 steals, a block, 4 assists. He looks much more like the Bam from last year. Some of those games with Kyle Lowry, some without. It's just nice to see the assists higher for him anyway. And frankly, the only reason he isn't higher on the board is that there are 5 or 6 guys that have been knocked around by injury that are sitting in front of him in that chunk of time. Kyrie Irving is in front of him, despite only playing in half the games. Rudy Gobert missed a bunch of time. Lowry Markinen, oddly, over the last month, his last two games, he was really, really good. Donovan Mitchell missed like half the month. Otherwise, you know, it's generally pretty big-name guys. He's in there with the big boppers over the last month. So now, if you start to scan towards the future, where do we think he goes? I mean, this was a guy who was going at about 15 to 18 range this year because of intense durability and because he'd generally been kind of a late second round per game guy, there was an expectation that even if he tapered off a tiny bit, he'd play 75, 76 games this year, and that would cover for it. But he isn't. Will he get back to that next season? I think some of that depends on what the Heat do in the postseason this year. If they have a really deep postseason run, you might see that regular season kind of laissez-faire attitude. Like like with Butler, missing games here and there. And they'll keep Bam semi-shrink-wrapped for a postseason run next season. What I will say is that you probably can't count on him to go 80 out of 82 games. I think you're probably looking at more like 72 out of 82 games, which is still fine, but you know, not a game-breaker. That's not the 10th category anymore. That's just holding steady. So it really does come down to where he gets drafted. But if he falls off and ends up where I think he'll probably be, which is where Vooch has ended up lately, sometimes Gobert falls into that range, 
and that's like 26 to 34, I think I would consider Bam at the back end of that range. You know, give me Bam at 32, 33. Then you're talking about a guy who, look, you know, per game, floor is probably about 40. And we know the upside is 15 to 20 range. So if I can get him in the low to mid 30s, and maybe he is durable a little bit. Again, you do that computation there. Get him at 32. He beats that if he plays in a league average number of games. Anything over that mark, then you start to bite off a few extra chunks of value. And with that, I say, welcome back. Welcome back. The NBA returns. Enjoy it. Tomorrow, we'll recap the Thursday card, get you set for the weekend. There's a lot to look forward to right now. I'm Dan Bespris. This is Fantasy NBA Today. Hey, new listeners, if you have a second, please drop a five-star review on the pod. I'll love you forever. You can do that through the podcast app or iTunes, or I think you can actually do it on Spotify now too. So, you know, whoop-de-doo to that. Um, Yeah, I'll blow your kisses. I'm Dan Bespris for Sports Ethos and Fantasy NBA Today. Have a great whatever day it is. Thursday, I can do this. I can keep track. It's important that I know because, you know, games, whatever. Talk to you tomorrow, everybody. So long.